Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. On the show this week, the New Zealand cricket coach Mike Hessen talks tough as the Black Caps begin their tour of England. The equestrian Andrew Nicholson tries to complete the Grand Slam of eventing by winning the badminton horse trials. Hayden Ralston prepares for cycling's Tour of Italy with two other New Zealanders in his team. Mahi Drysdale takes a break from rowing to compete in an Ironman. And the English netballer Jade Clark shares her experiences of playing for New Zealand teams in the Trans-Tasman Championship. The New Zealand cricketers open their Tour of England this weekend with a three-day warm-up match against county side Derbyshire. They then have a four-day match against England A before the two-test series against England. The tour provides another opportunity for the Black Caps to restore their fragile international reputation from eighth place in the test rankings. Coach Mike Hesson told Stephen Hewson they're not getting carried away by their drawn series against England over the summer here. We sort of set some standards that we're um, relatively comfortable with. Um, you know, we played pretty well for the for the month of, of March, but we're also aware that it's one series. So um, in order for us to improve as a side, we've got to be consistent. And, to, um, you know, this series is another opportunity for us to do that. Does that provide some added pressure, though, because often a black cap side does follow up well, a good performance with a, with a poor one? Well, yeah, I wouldn't say. I mean, we won an ODI series in South Africa and then obviously fronted up following that. So we've had a good uh, a good few months. Um, but, yeah, in terms of test cricket, um, as I said, it's just we've had one good series. So um, we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. We know there's a lot of things we have to do in the next couple of weeks to make sure that we've um, got a good chance of more than in three weeks' time. Conditions are likely to favour the England bowlers, certainly more than what they did out here something the New Zealand batsmen are going to have to cope with presumably that's something you've talked about and or thought about? Yeah I think all the bowlers will be pretty pleased sort of early season pitches over there you know different ball um, the ball will generally swing and seam a little bit so I think both you know both batting units will be under a heck of a lot more pressure than they were um, in New Zealand so uh, you know we're, we're pretty pleased with our seam attack, seam attack and, and if we're um, if we get an opportunity in conditions that suit I think um, you know our bowlers have got some good skills. Batting-wise, has there been anything you've been able to do practice-wise to simulate conditions or over the past few weeks? Oh, guys have trained a lot in terms of swinging ball. Um, but, I mean, a lot of what we can do is um, is obviously indoors or, or outdoors and nets. So um, without having those game opportunities, the, the first two games, as I said, in, in England are critical for us. Um, that three-day and the four-day, um, both at venues that generally do do a little bit. So um, they'll be challenging. Pleased with that build-up? that three-day and the four-day game? Yeah, we are. I mean, it's, it's as good as you get, really. Generally, we, we, you know, we're lucky if we get one warm-up game, so to have two is good. Um, and the fact that it's only been a month since we played last, um, given a chance for guys to freshen up, and uh, it hasn't been too big a break where um, you know, you've got to get your loads up. How much confidence do you think the side has taken from that, that summer performance? I know you mentioned there it's only, only one series, but it was a, a good performance all the same. Yeah, no, it was, and, and no doubt the guys took a lot of confidence from it. I think from the, you know, the first day in Dunedin of the first test, um, you know, we had a fair few new faces, and 
um, some guys that, you know, there was a lot of um, uncertainty surrounding that. So the fact that they fronted up, you know, other guys gained a lot of confidence from that. And, um, and that sort of led on throughout the series. So um, at the end of the series, we were disappointed not to get that last wicket, but certainly, um, yeah, played some good cricket. Are you looking forward to this as a, a, a time away from the whole Taylor saga, that John Parker apology? Has that, do you think, maybe closed the door on things? Oh, I certainly hope so. I mean, we've, um, yeah, we're, we're very much moving on and can't wait to uh, get over there and get involved in the cricket again. How difficult has it been? Oh, look, it's been difficult, no doubt about that. But um, as I said, pleased with the, the outcome that we got in the end and um, yeah, pleased to be able to now focus on the cricket, mm. which is the most important thing. Do you think it closes the door on it all? Oh, you'd like to think so. Is this trip another opportunity to continue rebuilding that relationship with Ross Taylor? Yeah, without doubt. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, as a coach, you're trying to build relationships with all your players, and, um, you know, Ross is certainly no exception to that. Been a tumultuous couple of months, or a few months for you, hasn't it? Is it? How much of a toll has it taken on you personally? Oh, oh, look, doing this job is a challenge, without doubt. Um, and there's been times where it's been really difficult. But um, the, the group that we're working with, you know, the players, the support staff are very supportive. Um, we know where we're trying to get to as a team, and, and consistency is certainly something we're looking for. And, um, you know, we've we've made a few a few changes along the way to to help um, achieve that. So, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult job. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly thoroughly enjoying it. Difficult job, but, and possibly even more difficult than any new incoming coach has had for a while, though. Yeah, I suppose I can't speak for anyone else, but as I said, it has been difficult. Um, but looking at the schedule, you know, the first six months taking on the role, obviously away tours to Sri Lanka and India where we've, you know, we've had very poor records in the past, um, then going to South Africa and England at home, the top two sides in the world, you know, take away the um, the other stuff. Um, it's been a tough ask, and, and I think the guys have, you know, started to perform very well. The England side, I mean, how much do you think they'll be looking to, well, for some, some payback on that tour? Uh, well, I'm sure they had expectation to um, to win that series quite comfortably. And, and as I said, it was a good sign for us that we were able to put them under pressure, um, not just for short periods, but for, you know, for, for extended ones. So, um, you know, they've got a very good record at home and, and that's why they're number two in the world at the moment. So, um, you know, sides struggle to go over there and win and, and will be no exception. You know, we now have to play extremely well. Are you looking at it as a separate series or as a continuation of the one here over the summer? Well, I guess they they sort of merge into one, don't they? Um, I mean, being nil all, it, it sort of makes sense that there's still a couple of tests to play. But, um, you know, every test we go into over there, I mean, the guys are excited, obviously, about playing at Lords. It's a, a special occasion, and, and that test will be, you know, in isolation. Um, and then we go to Headingley, which will be um, another challenge in terms of the amount that it, it nips around. So... Um, tough couple of tests, but um, yeah, very much looking forward to it. Bowling-wise, who do you, I mean, the conditions, how, how do you think they're going to suit of the New Zealand bowlers? Are you expecting the likes of Tim Southey and others to, to be at the fore? Yeah, I think guys that swing the ball, um, you know, and, and generally four, four or all five hours do swing it. You know, Trent Bolt um, swings the ball nicely. Doug Braceful um, more hit the wicket, but he also presents the seam well, so um, I think all five of our teams with Gillespie and, and Wagner uh, will enjoy the conditions. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that our batsmen uh, are able to, to deal with them as well. Did the guys that played in that series here get the inside running or are you taking a fresh sheet to it all with those two warm-up games? Oh, look, I think the 11 that have performed well for us in the three tests, 
you know, clearly um, have got a march on the others. But those those first two games in England are, are vital, um, and we'll hopefully get all fifteen a chance to to get on the park and, and push their claims. That, that's the plan, is it, to try and get the, the squad all of a run in those opening two games? I uh, would would like to, yeah, would like to get to um, get to Lords with all fifteen available. Um, whether we're able to achieve that in terms of weather and um, and bowling loads and things, but that's that's ideally what we're looking to do. The Black Caps coach Mike Hesson talking to Stephen Hewson. The world's number one ranked eventer Andrew Nicholson says he's got his best chance ever of notching up a win at this weekend's badminton horse trials. Nicholson has a long list of equestrian triumphs, culminating in this week's victory at the Kentucky four-star event, but badminton has constantly eluded him. Now, after consecutive wins at Burley and Kentucky, the New Zealand Olympian stands on the cusp of becoming only the second person to win the Grand Slam of eventing, but only if he can take out badminton. Nicholson told Morning Report's Jeff Robinson he's got the right horses to complete the Grand Slam. It's too um, hard on the horses to expect them to do back-to-back um, four-star events, which is what Kentucky and badminton are. You know, they, they need sort of a couple of months, you know, sort of a bit easy before you go and do that sort of level again. So it's, it's always was planned to take different horses to the two competitions. OK, so tell me about your, your two horses for badminton. Who are they? It's, it's pretty much my team going to badminton. Um, AE3, he was my reserve horse for the Olympic Games. He won Burley in September last year. That's the equivalent to what badminton is in the, it's the autumn big one kind of thing. He won that. Um, he's been very consistent in the last couple of years at the very highest level. And the other horse is Nareo, who's the horse I rode at the Olympic Games. He also won a equivalent standard to badminton in October last year, which was in France called Poe. So, you know, he's a, a very, very experienced horse, and I'm very much looking forward to riding both of them there. Now, you're a very, very experienced rider, and certainly in terms of badminton, I think you've got the record for the most completions, haven't you? So uh, th- th- it must annoy you that you have never won it. Well, it, it doesn't annoy me, but, um, you know, I've, I know the place well. I've had enough goes at it, and I'm a great believer if you keep trying something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn your way one day, and I've got a feeling it could be this year. Um, I've got two very, very good horses, which are both winners at the highest level. They've been consistent. I feel like I'm very good. This year, I'm, I feel very confident. A lot of times I've gone there knowing that I'm just, you know, making the numbers up. And, you know, sometimes I've been surprised at how well I've done. And other times I've been disappointed with how badly I've done. Now, what about the course? Is it the same every year, or, or do they put in new challenges? Yeah, they they put in new challenges. They um, sort of jiggle things around a bit, so some of the jumps may be the same from the year before, but they're in a different order, different sequence. Um, the majority of them are changed in some way or another. They have, say, the water jump, which is they call a badminton lake, it's the same lake year after year, but the type of obstacle you jump to get into the lake changes every year. And maybe 
Some years it will have a jump in the water, some years it doesn't, some is a jump out, and that gets changed every year. So, you know, although the, the landmarks are still the same, the actual obstacles are, are quite different year to year. And the other New Zealanders there, there's Mark Todd, obviously, Jonathan Padgett as well. Yeah, Jonathan Padgett would be a, a big chance of doing well. He's got his two most experienced horses um, have been going well. He's a very, very good rider, and you know he will be along with a, a whole host of others who will be in with the chance of winning it. That was Andrew Nicholson speaking to Jeff Robinson. You're listening to Extra Time. For the first time, three New Zealanders are riding in the same team on a Grand Tour cycling event. Hayden Ralston, George Bennett and Jesse Sargent are part of the Radio Shack Leopard Trek team in this weekend's Giro d'Italia. Ralston, an Olympic silver medalist on the track, says while it's a milestone to have three New Zealanders in the same team for the Giro, none of them are likely to be standing on the podium. He spoke to Stephen Hewson about the race, Lance Armstrong, his future in cycling and riding in a team full of New Zealanders. Yeah, I guess you could say majority rules. Three Kiwis out of nine is pretty good numbers, really, considering, you know, once upon a time there was only one pro in the whole of professional cycling, and now we've got three in one team. So I guess it's a milestone for New Zealand cycling, but, you know, it's going to be great to have the other two Kiwis on board. I imagine, though, the numbers don't translate into sort of being the, the lead rider, though. No, 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 not, not by any chance. None of us are the lead riders here. We've got a couple of good guys that are going very well at the moment, and we've got no one here to win the race, but we've got some guys that can be definitely in the top 10, top 5, but we'll, each of us will play a role, and each of us will get our own opportunities later in the race. So what's your role going to be? I'm not sure yet. To be honest, I haven't raced since Roubaix. I had two weeks off the bike. I only just arrived back into Europe from Christchurch. So um, for me, it's all about getting through the first week and as good a shape as I can. And after that, my body will bounce back pretty well. So we'll just wait and see. But I think definitely later in the race, there'll be some opportunities to go up the road. So you've been back home on a break or for training? Yeah, on a break, really. Mental break, physical break, everything. Because uh, we had a really heavy time building up towards the, the classics. And um, it's important to have that break just so you can come back and do it all over again. So coming into the Giro, what about other teams? What sort of state are they they going to be in? Well, everyone's flying. It's the first Grand Tour of the year. It's a very, very important race for all the teams, really. So um, although the Tour of Italy isn't as well publicised, it recognises the Tour de France. For us cyclists, it's as big as the Tour de France. How many times have you ridden it previously? I've never actually ridden the Giro before. Uh, I've ridden the Tour and the Vuelta, but I've never ever uh, ridden the Giro, so I'm quite looking forward to debut Tour. How is it different from others? Is there something particularly Italian about it? For me, personally, the Italians, they were born riding a bike. The fans are really passionate. It's a great country for cycling. You know, there's so many great things about Italy, and plus the country itself is a really beautiful country. So I think it'd be a great race. I've heard a lot of good stories. I've heard a lot of horror stories also from certain stages. But, uh, you know, I'll just take each day as it comes and see how that goes. So how much time have you had off the bike? How much training were you doing back in Christchurch? And what sort of state are you going to be in going into to this race? You mentioned there before that sort of going to get through the first few days is going to be the, the key. Yeah, well, I mean, I had two weeks off the bike. I struggled with illness, actually, right throughout the whole classic season. I never really, from basically from Torino Adriatico, which was beginning of March, I never really shook the bad head cold I had because we were just racing so much, you know, so... It was important for me to take a good couple of weeks 
off the bike, not think about it. And I've had 10 days on the bike, roughly. It was no real easy ride. Everything was targeted on just getting into sort of a race rhythm so that I'm not behind the eight ball when, when the race starts the third day. And you're, you're sickness-free now, are you? Yep, 100% healthy. So I'm happy about that because it was, you know, when you go from race to race, it's very hard to recover. One, you've got to recover from the, from the effort. Two, you've got to recover mentally. And then, you know, if you're also trying to get over an illness or whatever, it just makes life a whole lot tougher. So uh, I definitely needed that break, that's for sure. And now I'm firing on all cylinders. The fact you're in the, the team for the Giro, is this an indication that you're likely to be in the Tour de France team as well? No, not really. Um, typically, if you do the Giro d'Italia, then you won't ride the Tour de France, but um, it all depends on how you come out of the Giro also. I mean, if I'm, I'm coming into it nowhere near at my best form, I'm going to come out of it in very good form. So it's not that I won't be on the Tour, it's just a matter of how I'm tracking towards the last week of the Tour of Italy. So what's your hope personally and as a team perspective, you mentioned earlier that maybe a top 10 finish for your lead rider, but simply getting through it, is that the key for you? No, I'm not here just to get through the race. I'm here to get through the first week and I'm a little bit nervous about the first week to be honest because I haven't done the, the work that uh, a lot of other riders have done. And, and after the first week, then, then I'll see how I'm going. I'll see how the legs are. But I'm pretty confident that I'll be good sort of 10 days in right throughout the rest of the race. So, you know, if the opportunity arises where I'm in the break or I can do something to pick up an individual result, then I'll be all for it. But um, first and foremost, I've just got to get through that first week in one piece and, and healthy, and then we take it from there. You mentioned that your role hasn't sort of been defined yet, but what's your expectation? Uh, we've got a young sprinter here. I'll help looking after him. Also got one or two guys that can be very good overall. So, uh, you know, we'll look after them also. And that'll be... I'll, I'll play a big role in that before the major climbs and stuff. And then, basically, you're there when they need you. Or if you uh, get the opportunity, you can have a free card to play, you know. Has the cycling landscape changed much in the whole wake of Lance Armstrong? Is there a different vibe, different feel around the place? Yes and no. I mean... Lance changed cycling to what it is today, and he's changing it again now for what it's going to be tomorrow. And it's not just Lance. I mean, everyone's pointing the finger at Lance, but, you know, you can, you can point the finger at a large number of individuals that all contributed to that, that whole saga, not just in this era. It goes back decades of doping. So for me, yeah, it's changed in a certain respect that, um, well, I, I would hope that certain riders or certain teams are not taking risks anymore. I think you can see with, you know, you've got Dan Martin from Ireland, he just won Liège based on Liège. I mean, that never would have happened three or four years ago, you know. So that, for me, is an indication that cycling is changing, the sport's cleaning up. And um, for us guys coming from New Zealand, I think it's a really, really big thing, especially for the young guys, you know, that have got still 10 years ahead of them. I think it's great. But you're never going to stop doping completely. There will always be the guys that want to take the shortcuts want to take the risk for a couple of weeks to get a big contract for a couple of years, you know. So it's just the way it goes. It's the way it goes in every walk of life, and you just got to manage it the best you can. Is it a topic that gets discussed much among the riders? No, less and less. I mean, there was once upon a time where it was talked about. You hear all the stories and stuff. You don't know what's true and what's not. But nah, now cycling is really... I don't know, there's a different mentality coming through. A lot of good young riders. I think the fans are starting to believe a bit more. And, you know, you can see it in the racing. You're no longer seeing one guy going up the road on the mountain attacking from the bottom and winning solo, you know. You're more seeing groups, bigger chase groups, you know, little things like that, which to me indicate that things are changing.
You're enjoying it? You're still getting a buzz out of it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you can't do this sport unless you enjoy it. It's a very demanding sport and it's a great sport in the same respect. And your future during this year, I mean, what are the plans? So I finish this year and then I do a tour of Luxembourg. And then I'm not sure after that, you know, whether the Tour de France is an option, whether I go to America for Utah, Colorado, and then on to Canada. I'm not 100% sure of my program this year, but, you know, future goals, I still want to win a gold medal on the on the track in the Olympics. And that's still in the back of my mind. And, you know, I'm going to have one last crack 2016. So definitely going to try and do everything I can to get to that goal but um, before that there's a lot of lot of intermediate goals that, that, that need to be ticked off first. At any stage then for that track goal are you going to have to sort of give up the road? Not with the event that I want to do, I mean I want to have a crack at the points race and, and that requires a great deal of road work. Maybe I'll have to scale it back quite a bit but I think by the time 2015, 2016 comes around I think I'm ready to focus all my energy just on, on one thing but I'm still going to have to have a road career to enable me to be able to do what I want to do on the track, you know. So everything's up in the air at the moment, but I sort of know what the, what the dream goal is, and now I'm just going through the process of sorting out the steps to get there. That was Hayden Ralston talking to Stephen Hewson. The Giro d'Italia runs for three weeks with 21 stages covering almost 3,500 kilometres, starting around the streets of Naples. The rowing Olympic gold medalist Mahe Drysdale will strike another item from his bucket list this weekend when he competes in Ironman Australia at Port Macquarie. The 34-year-old has spent his summer sabbatical away from rowing, pursuing his quest of two acclaimed sporting endeavours. He finished 39th overall on the coast-to-coast in February, and he told Bridget Tunnicliffe preparing for the Ironman has been one of his biggest challenges yet. It's been quite a quite a test, but... um. No, it's been been really good and and really enjoyed everything uh, everything that that I have done. Do you feel like you've pushed yourself to limits that you haven't reached before? Um, oh yeah, definitely. It's a completely different sort of event. To, um, you know, I, I guess what I'd say is is you know when I'm rowing, it's much more intense, um, but for much shorter periods of time. And uh, you know, I think a lot of these challenges have been all about learning how to suffer and, and you know, just, just keep going, keep going, no matter how bad you feel. So, um, you know, it has, has definitely taught me things and, um, you know, pushed, pushed in a different way to what I'm used to. And how have you prepared and trained for the Ironman this weekend? Just really doing a lot of, a lot of longer stuff. So, obviously, I've, I've got fairly good endurance uh, from my rowing training. So it's just trying to get my body used to going, you know, to the the next level um, and, you know, just, just keep going for, for um, you know, hours and hours on end. What would be your weakest discipline? Well, probably the run. Um, I think mainly because where it, where it sort of fits, like I'm not, I'm not a great swimmer, but, um, you know, it's, it's first up and, and you kind of get that out of the way, whereas, um, you know, the marathon's a bit more daunting um, coming up at the end of the day. What's your goal for the weekend? Have you set yourself a time? To be honest, I, I, I really don't uh, know, um, but hopefully I can go around 11 hours. Um, but really, to be honest, until I get out there and start doing it, you know, I'm not going to know what I'm capable of. And, and although you know, I've done a lot of training, I haven't, I haven't obviously done you know, anything as intense as this. It's, it's such a, a weird event. You know, we train for two hours to race seven minutes. Um, and this one, you know, it's, it's almost the opposite. You, you can't do that 11 hours in one day to prepare for it. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting just to, to see how, how I cope and, you know, whether I can, can keep going. 
Is it a bit daunting entering a sport where you're the new kid on the block as opposed to rowing where everyone knows your name and your record? Yeah, it is, it is daunting, um, but it's also you know, quite exciting. It's something that I've enjoyed a lot, you know, being, being able to, to get out there and, and you know, just compete and, and enjoy doing that. So you know, that's been, that's been a, a change that I'm not used to doing. You know, I'm, I'm used to competing and, and doing very well at everything, but you know, to, to get out there and, and be able to just enjoy competing is, is a, a nice change and, and something that I've really enjoyed. So you're not finding it too difficult not winning all the time? Um, no, not at all. Um, you know, obviously I've got that competitive spirit, but I, I guess I realise um, in this event that, you know, that, that is something that, you know, I just have to deal with. Um, and because I am, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a top Ironman, I'm a, I'm a rowing athlete, so this, this sport is, is not my sport. So, you know, I've, I've come to grips with that and, uh, you know, managed to uh, find it quite easy just to, to enjoy the day rather than, um, you know, rather than wanting to go out and win. Is there a risk that the different kind of training and time away could be detrimental when you return to rowing? Or, on the other hand, do you see the endurance that you're building up now could actually um, help you when you return? Um, oh, it's it's definitely a risk, um, but it was a risk that I was willing to take this year, uh, knowing that, you know, effectively I want to be competing, um, you know, at my best in, in Rio, which is, is still, you know, three and a bit years away. So, um, yes, it is a, a risk, I guess, in, in the short term, um, but, you know, I think the long term, the gain and, and you know, what I'm going to learn from it will definitely be worth worth it. So you're still as hungry as ever then to return to rowing, and you see yourself competing in Rio. Oh, definitely, and uh, you know, I think I think that's one thing. Although I've enjoyed you know completing these events, you know, I still do have that competitive side, and um, and that's something that I know with rowing, um, you know, I can certainly uh, quench. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back into rowing and uh, you know competing and and uh, hopefully winning again um, over the next few years. Are you craving a day when you can just take it easy, or I guess you're just one of these people that can't sit around and, and do nothing? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, that's that's pretty much uh, you know the sort of person I am. Even you know when we go on holiday, uh, it's pretty full on, and um, you know just I like to to keep active and and do as much as I can um, in the the time I have available. So yeah, I, I think I think I'd get pretty bored if I had nothing to do and was just sitting on the couch all day. That was Mahi Drysdale for Extra Time. The English netball international Jade Clark is trying to lead the Canterbury tactics up the Trans-Tasman netball ladder while fostering a desire to be reselected for her country. Clark has previously played for both the Magic and the Mystics and is one of a growing number of English players choosing to ply their trade down under. She spoke to Bridget Tunnicliffe about England, the tactics and playing netball in New Zealand. I find with the New Zealand team, the culture is quite the same. It's always... A family feel with all the teams, which I really enjoy. Um, what's different is the coaching style and the tactics that you use going out to the court. And yeah, so that's been the main difference, really. How are you finding uh, the tactics in general in, in this year in the ANZ? Uh, I'm loving being at the tactics. I like being part of a rebuilding city here in Christchurch and living somewhere new. Uh, the girls are great. They're so willing to learn. Um, lots of youngsters, so we've got a mix of youth and experience. So it, it's it's great. I love it. And you've also had the benefit of learning from three different New Zealand coaches. What type of coach yep. is Lee Gibbs? Lee is, well, she's a centre court coach, so that's great for me. So she's always got lots of advice for me. Um, 
Lee is, I think she's learning herself to be a lot tougher with us, especially, I know, with the bad losses we've had. Um, she's really lovely and approachable, but that's a, another side of her is, you know, that tough side that she's also got. And, and Jules is great as well. Just I'm just learning from her and soaking up all the information. So you'd probably be considered a senior player in the tactics. Um, do you like yeah. that role? Yeah, I think it's it's a good kind of pressure. Um I hope that the girls look up to me and, and I always try to lead by example and work really hard and I'm really lucky with this team that we've got a really good bunch of hard-working girls. They'll give everything in training and we're learning a mile a minute at the moment. I guess initially you would have been a bit disappointed to not be returning to the Mystics, but then they've had some issues this year. Is it a bit strange seeing how they've struggled? I think, well, with Tactics and Mystics, we've had such big changes, so... You just never know what's going to happen the following year and how, you know, the loss of Tempara and Anna Scarlett, you don't know how that's going to react. And I think with Mystics, they're improving every week, you know, and they're going to be a real danger for us this week because every week they're getting better and you can see in their performance and starting to gel. And so you guys took out that extra time nail-biter a couple of weeks ago, so you'll be yeah. expecting a bit of a backlash from them on Sunday. Yeah, they won't want that to happen again and they've had another extra time against Paul so they'll have that experience up their belts and we just can't go in complacent at all because we won by the narrowest of margins so we know they've got a team stacked with sore fans who can deliver the goods so we're expecting another big fight. And once the ANZ season is over, do you plan on being available for England later this year? Yep, I've been in talks with the England coach, so um, she's just confirming the dates of the England trials and I definitely want to, to be back for that. Have they made it clear to you and the other players in the ANZ what the expectations are in regards to your availability? Because I know over the past couple of years they've taken quite an all-or-nothing stance. That's yet to be confirmed. I'm, I'm not sure what the plan is for next year regarding ANZ, so first job for me is actually you know getting back into the England team and performing well at trials and... I'm sure we'll find out over the next few months like what the rules are regarding ANZ and, and having time out over here. So that's all to be revealed. And how has the ANZ improved your netball, do you think? Oh, it's, it's massively improved my netball. I feel getting used to the physicality. When you're in England, you, you have to wait for you come and play test series in Australia and New Zealand. And you only get to hit them once or, or twice a year. But here you can play against them every week and also playing in front of big crowd it's it just feels like an international every week so I, I love that environment and yeah I'm learning so much and just being put under that kind of physical pressure every week is doing great things for my game I think. And it must be nice for you having um, Joe Harton in the team another English player and you get to feed to her sometimes. We've been in the same team for seven years but we haven't played that much as a centre and goal shooter together I've been a lot back at wing defence so it's Great to be playing with Jo. I think she's one of those players that everyone wants to play with because, you know, she just gives such good offers. She's such a strong player and she's got a lot of flair, so I'm really enjoying that side of it. And her game's come a long way as well in the past year. Yeah, definitely. She's always, you know, been a great talent. She's always worked hard and, and now it, she's getting that real consistency and she's so mentally tough and and she, she's definitely a player for those tactics that she's performed well every week and we need to get up to her standard and, and step up and bring her the ball so she can just do her job and shoot all the goals. That was Jade Clark talking to Bridget Tunnicliffe. That's all for Extra Time this week. You can send feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.